This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the travel edition of Slate Money, your guide to travel, I guess. We have a very special guest on this week. I am Felix Salmon of... Fusion, Anna Shemansky, and Jordan Weissman, as ever, are here. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. But most importantly, we have Rafat Ali. Hello. Rafat, uh, you run a publication called Skift. Correct. Skift is it's a website. It's a magazine, which I have in my hand. Um, yeah, we did this hot new thing called print. It's a hot new thing called print. The, the cover line on, on the magazine is travel in an age of perm-anxiety, which Correct. I didn't even know that perm-anxiety was a word, but it seems right. Well, we coined it. We, we love coining words or whatever they're called. You're, you're, you're always, you, you create the trends. So um, with, this is going to be a very special edition of Slate Money during a time of the year that people spend altogether too much time in airports. If you're listening to this in an airport, my commiserations. If you're listening to this on a plane, which is also possible, I hope that we will be able to transport you out into a lovely world of not having to, you know, worry about that large person sitting next to you. Um, planes. We're going to talk about planes. We're going to talk about airlines. We're going to talk about the travel industry more generally and the way in which there's this kind of trade-off between these wonderful local people who are providing wonderful, valuable services on the one hand and these big global companies who seem to be extremely good at siphoning off all the profits on the other. 
Um, but we're going to start with the one topic, which I, I mean, frankly, we could spend the entire episode just talking about this one thing, but we're going to pick and choose a couple of things about Airbnb because Airbnb is the huge story in in the travel business has been for many many years is a really fascinating company and people always are finding problems with it issues with it let's start with the anti-gentrifiers is it true that airbnb is taking lovely cohesive community neighborhoods and turning them into transient populations of tourists and people who don't really care about like building a community yeah well all of us live here in new york city i mean you know the story here and so if you look at um alphabet city for example in manhattan um chances are you'll find multiple people standing at the corner of streets with a luggage bag there. So uh, it's a result of, obviously, Airbnb. I think Alphabet City is, is one of the biggest uh, concentrations of Airbnb here. And that's despite the fact that it's actually illegal. Yeah, I mean, you know. Where it's legal, it's even in worse, so ways, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, in many cities especially city centers or, or places just off city centers where hotels typically are in the city centers. Um, it's it's had an effect in cities like Paris, like New York, like Barcelona. Um, there were like literally riots in the street in, in Barcelona. In Barcelona this, this, this year has been, I mean, I think this year in Europe, certainly the summer this year, the summer of what we call over-tourism, it's also a term we coined last year, um, has been the summer of over-tourism in Europe, which is the big cities um, have been overrun by tourists. And is that Airbnb's fault? Um, Airbnb, here's what Airbnb would argue, that they allow people to um, to be dispersed outside the main areas because that's where the hotels typically are, the people stay. So people are outside in different communities in the city. You could also argue, and probably the numbers may bear this, which is that more people are, well, one, more people are traveling. That's an objective fact in general around the world. So, um, and hotel occupancy rates are holding up very well everywhere, pretty much, which means that obviously there are new people coming into the market that are using Airbnb, which means that there are more people in a city. So, you know, if you if you take that to the logical extreme, of course they're having an effect. Also, I, I'm curious: do people do they know if people who use Airbnb are more likely to use other like local services in the city? So then they may actually leave more money in the city than if you're staying at some Marriott or something. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a fair. I think that's that would be. Yeah, I think that that would be true. Um, Airbnb has a lot of economic impact studies out there that they fund that essentially says that, which is that the local communities in Brooklyn or different parts of Queens, I live in Queens, Astoria, so the local places in Astoria. But then, you know, are you going to Starbucks in Astoria or are you going to a local coffee shop in so Astoria? I guess, so I guess the, the question is basically, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Right now, we, we seem to be hearing from a lot of local populations in Barcelona and around the world saying this is a bad thing for all that you guys might be bringing in lots of money and spending it in local coffee shops 
those of us in Reykjavik or Barcelona, we don't actually want your money. We want you out of here and we want our community back. I think that, so, um, as you very well know, minorities shouting the loudest always gets the most amount of attention. Um, in this case, I would say that's, that the majority net-net sentiment in about Airbnb or tourists in a city um long term either people don't give a shit or the local communities or the businesses do care about obviously these tourists being there so i think that's a general i would say that would be the general so you, so i mean so local businesses want lo- love of making course. more money yeah um there's a few loud opponents and you're saying the general if you actually look at the population as a whole that they maybe aren't so opposed as the headlines might suggest? Yeah, I would say that that's a general. And then there are, there are exceptions like Barcelona, like Venice um, that are there. I mean, New York City, are we, do we, like we live here, as I said, like take your own sentiment. Do we be honest? Or I, I'm in the travel industry, so I do care. But but if, if you're not thinking about travel the whole time, beyond a certain point, if you're not going to Times Square, do you give a shit? Well, I, I have a question. So to... Barcelona. Are people there worried about gentrification, that people are being pushed out of their neighborhoods by people who so are running So that's a real hotels, thing. So let's, let's talk or, about the quality of life issue. Yeah. So the quality of life issue and gentrification is a real fear. Sub- separate from, which, not separate, but certainly related to uh, the, the tourist issue. Um, this is true in cities like Barcelona, in New York City, in Reykjavik, a city where people has it has the most concentration of Airbnb in the world. It just happens to be very small, but um, such that nobody can actually buy anything in Reykjavik downtown or the city they're moving out. Um, so certainly that that would be the biggest issue. Yeah. Um, versus um, versus are there enough tourists or not? So I think that Airbnb certainly contributes to it. Um, in a place like Boston, one of my very good friends, she owns a bunch of Airbnbs around Cambridge, um, sorry, around Harvard. Um, and um, I'm guessing those those are apartments nobody's going to be able to buy, right? So Because uh, she owns them and she's not selling them. She's not, well, she owns a bunch of it, essentially to Airbnb it. Right. And to make tons of money off it. So, um, uh, yes, of course. I mean, that's driving up the prices. Uh, in many ways. So, because the thing about over-tourism that I guess confuses me a little bit is that typically people get angry when a neighborhood just gets reduced to a tourist destination, when it's just totally overrun and all of a sudden the things that were there before that catered to locals disappear. It seems like Airbnb, if you're going to almost is a fix for that in some ways, because if you're going to have more people traveling to these cities regardless you would have to accommodate them somehow and you would have more hotels opening up. You would have yeah, the central tourist the, district. The supply creates the demand. The reason why okay. travel is up is precisely because... It's affordable, a lot more you can You can do it, especially now if you're traveling with kids. That was always very hard yeah. with hotels. Now that you can find Airbnbs and you can cook for them and it's much easier to travel with kids, that increases demand in an, well, in an me, artificial way. Uh, so... That, that I think demand me. is not just Airbnb. I yeah. think demand is low cost. So the biggest effect on demand and travel worldwide, like you know, Mark Mark Anderson said, software ate the world, right? That whatever that phrase was, uh, you know. Guess what? Low cost airlines ate the world as well. So uh, because they opened up a huge swaths of of um, society to actually travel for the first time in their lives. As I say, um, is is that to to me? It seems I'm a little skeptical. Of the idea that Airbnb is really driving this. It's it would be more like 
I mean, my naive, my naive guess is you now have people in India and China who have low cost airfares to get wherever First, they want in Europe, for, yeah. and so that's yeah. what's going to be driving Air a lot Asia of this. in uh, in Asia, like Southeast Asia's story is a story. If you can, you know, look for the rise of Air Asia and the rise of Southeast Asia, it's sort of literally parallel to each other. Uh, Europe, I, I was just looking now. at the tourist numbers in Seoul, which I never, I have to admit, really considered Seoul is a, pretty hot a, a tourist yeah. destination. But the but the t- amount of tourists in Seoul is absolutely astonishing. So uh, it's funny. So last week I was in Malaysia for a conference about um, urban tourism. This was the whole conference I was in. And I'm still five days later, I'm still jet lagged, which is a whole different story. Um <laughs> The the guy who heads tourism for Seoul was there. They're actually doing the same conference, which was in Malaysia next year in Seoul. So he gave a he gave a overview of why that's happening. So the the story there is they're doing an urban regeneration of the city, which is essentially taking the Highline model and putting it to scale, which is all these unused ports or this or that, and making them into tourist destinations. Um, uh, and we can talk about that, but Highline is probably the most copied urban innovation anywhere in the world. Today. And the Highline was itself a copy of a park in Paris. Is that what it was? I didn't better yeah. know, but but we we made it famous. New York scale, yeah. So 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 that's a big part of what's what's driving there, which is that they're they're trying to get the lo- one of the big things they've done is to encourage um, travel within the locals, meaning as a city um, by making the city a lot better for people to spend time in, uh, not just in Seoul, but also the other other Koreans. And then that has led to a larger influx of tourists from around the world. And this, is, and this is presumably, is this something that the broad population of Seoul likes and wants? Is I, more I don't know that level of detail. To but be I mean, it's weird. Like You find this a lot is local tourist agencies and cities, spending a lot of money and effort trying to create a tourist-friendly city, um, which is the flip side of, of you know what we were talking about earlier, which is people saying we want fewer tourists, is that all, there seems to be a bunch of places around the world, even in very rich countries like Korea, saying, no, we want more tourists. Um, is, is like, can those two coexist? There does seem to be a tension there. Yeah. Um, I do think that, Net net travel has a you know this is obviously this is our world so we we think that travel has a beneficial effect on the world uh, in so many ways I think cities um, biggest one of the biggest sources of revenues the taxes that they get from from the tourists in so many different cities um, so I think that net the cities would tell you one thing and some of the locals will tell you another thing what is happening one hundred percent now is that historically the tourism organizations, the marketing people and the tourism in different cities and the economic development boards, which which were didn't used to interact ever, are now working together in many cities. New York is a, good, is a very good example of it, um, where they're trying to say, how do we, how do we make sure that the locals um, are satisfied as we do promote the tourists? It's certainly the intent is there, their early efforts there in a lot of different cities around the world. So that's a new change that has happened that historically um, travel has not considered as part of its its remit, which is we better make sure that the locals' lives are getting better, which never used to be the case. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. But let's pick up this question of low-cost airlines. These are these have transformed travel, you you tell us, and certainly as a European where we've had them in Europe longer than anyone else. Um, that's unarguable. Um, so I guess the the question that the five a couple of questions one is like when is this going to reach America? So, so uh, it has reached America in very different ways than you would imagine. So it's essentially the mainline airlines that are that are introducing what they call basic basic economy fares, which is really 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 low cost. I think there was a story we did yesterday, maybe or was it day before this week that Delta is now. Uh, marketing basic economy fares to Europe, really cheap fares, but you're going to pay $60 for a bag. This is the first time they're doing it um, internationally because internationally at least you're able to carry, carry one bag, whatever uh, uh, whatever thing you buy. So it's the first time. So the, the answer is I don't think new startup low-cost airlines will come into U.S. anytime soon. The, the, the cost and the structure is just too expensive but uh these mainline airlines realize that they have competition obviously here from southwest JetBlue, um allegiant some of these other airlines local airlines as well low-cost airlines so they're introducing this basic economy fare so that's the way that that is happening in u.s in europe is a different story it's the low-cost airlines themselves that are uh that have eaten up the market but ba is on record saying they're going to do a race to the bottom. They're going to cut the fares. They're going to cut the services. They're going to compete head-on against every other low-cost EasyJet Ryanair. So in many ways, you're like Air France has launched a millennial-focused low-cost airline. It's total <laughs> Of course they have. <laughs> Serves avocado Wait, toast. So, uh, so, but, uh, so Costs a lot. <laughs> the two things you're describing right there sound so different to me that it, it seems even hard to compare them, which is in Europe, you have a bunch of cut rate or not cut, well, yeah, cut rate airlines that are That have been competing, there for a long time. Exactly. But they compete against the big guys and they have brought down the prices sort Correct. of naturally. Yeah. Whereas in the US with these basic economy fares, you know, when, when I look at them, it, it looks more like they're charging similar to what the old like lowest tier, tier fare was. But now they're charging more for bags, essentially. It's just the it's it's less of an actual discount than it is a way to eke out a little bit more. I think that's I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Yes. So it, it Fees, means, uh, yeah. So how to how to get more, you know, it's the unbundling of, you know, and cable the, that the, happened is, un, is I happening. See, in the I see what world. happened with with JetBlue, which I think when it started could credibly have been called something vaguely akin to a low-cost airline, although with better service. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I mean, whatever else you can say about it, it's not low-cost. It costs the same as everyone else. Yeah, it's it got does. a better app. <laughs> it does have a better... I mean, you, as, a, as a user, I would say it has... It, it, they're just better better people that are servicing it. It looks like they're, they're just more customer-friendly in so many different ways. And, um, and what... 
would you say are the biggest barriers to having those truly low cost carriers in the United States? Um, so many different things. Um, air, airport landing slots are locked up by pretty much every, all the big airlines that are there. Um, Norwegian is coming in on an international basis um, and trying to do what, you know, as you probably know, trying to do with secondary airports here. Yeah, from, from like City, Stewart uh, to Edinburgh. Like those, a one and a half things. hour, two hour bus ride from here to get to Edinburgh, etc. So um, just the structural issues in the U.S. are really, really hard um, in terms of airports just not being there for, or or certainly not in big hubs like like. Yeah, in, the big in, Euro- one of the interesting things about Europe is it's just a much denser continent, and there were a lot of underutilized airports which were still quite close to a lot of people, and that's less common in the U.S. There are um, an abundance of underutilized airports in the U.S., yeah. but they're just not near major population centers. And also keep in mind, so in U.S., uh, the the airlines. The way they make money is not taking money from us occasional travelers. It's the business travelers and companies that have contracts with these giant uh, these giant companies that have contracts with Delta, United, American, et cetera, et cetera. So um, as long as they're being serviced, um, us transient travelers are a tiny part of their business um, compared to the larger business that they have. So can, uh, and this is the challenge JetBlue has always had, which is they were never a business airline. So can they eke out a living? by just those occasional travelers at scale. And they have had to, over the last at least, I would say, three to five years, have now gone heavy into trying to attract business travelers. They launched Mint, which is their first uh, business class product, et cetera, uh, for transcontinent um, flights. And so, so that's the challenge in the U.S., which is can you eke out a living outside of the business travelers? And in general, corporates try to stay away, uh, have, have have historically tried to stay away from low-cost airlines. And that's why? And that's, why, why have corporates stayed away from low-cost uh, airlines? Because um, all kinds of things. They, there's this phrase called duty of care, which is a very corporate travel phase, which is are you able to provide enough services at like, it's like an SLA. Do you have, are you providing X number of services to the people, whether you're staying at hotels or taking these airlines? Um, airlines may not, have enough bulk capacity, these low-cost airlines, to work with a large company like, for instance, Accenture, which needs millions of seats in a year. So so there's that. Those are some of the issues historically that have been there. And you would assume business travelers want higher class of service, or at least used to now. Obviously, things are changing. Also, just a, a level of certainty and also the ability to change flights. And also have enough routes because like if 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 it's Accenture, for example, mm-hmm. you better have flights into every freaking place that right. their clients Accenture, are. Accenture, McKinsey, all like, the... But, yeah. yeah. So they need to really have really wide coverage. Low-cost airlines are going from point to point most of the times. And because this is Slate Money and we can never have an episode of Slate Money without talking about the transformative effect of China, what's the transformative effect of China? I've been looking at the yeah. Chinese tourism yeah. numbers and they all they yeah, do is just are, like they go parabolic. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think they're close to 150 million uh, new tourists every year, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it's it, it, this is the biggest... Um, topic in every part of travel, whether it's airlines, whether it's hotels, Airbnb, 
um, Airbnb's co-founder, Nathan, is spending now the majority of his time making sure China works for them um, as a business. And so the action is not so much ex- international travelers going to China. That's actually not a growth area for them. They're, the number of travelers going to China is actually falling. Um, it's the external um, travelers and travelers within China, the local Chinese within China. Um, so uh, there's uh, just a huge amount of activity everywhere. Australia, the other day, the CEO of Tourism Australia was in our office and this is his number one job is to make sure China is happy or Chinese travelers are happy. That's the only thing he cares and, for. And that's the question. Is, is that qualitatively different? Is is the As the travel industry starts pivoting to make sure that Chinese travelers are happy, whether it's airlines yeah. or anyone else, is that going to – is that the, – are they going to do things which they haven't done before? Yeah, I think that's – so there's some um, um, – what you may call customer experience changes because it's a very different culture. So uh, the some of these are cliches, but let's run with them. Um, uh, Chinese travelers uh, typically travel in groups, large groups. They are very attuned to um, shopping, which is what they want to do in in many different locations they want to go. Um, typically want to have access to... Um, food that they uh from their own cultures um so hotels have um and they need english um chinese to english language um translations etc so that people can understand them um so a lot of hotels have have programs around that all the big hotels at this point i mean this is 2018 almost so everybody has been doing that for the last 5 to 7 to 10 years Airlines have obviously done that quite a bit as well. Um, Airbnb has done that. So, yeah, this is true for pretty much every, every place in the world. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, ransack my computer. And I, I got people threatening me. I got this and that, but I'm safe and what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the Slow Newscast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we're going to spend the final segment here just talking about travel. Yeah, and as a um, traveller. As a traveller, um, there's... Jordan has a question about as a selfish question about Very, like, extremely he, selfish. He want he wants to he wants to maximize his hipsterdom. Yes. So <laughs> well, no, okay. So as you know, I like to try to travel every once in a while, yeah. but it feels like places that were cool and not mobbed maybe one year ago very rapidly are suddenly swarmed with tourists and this is sort of like if you go to well the other side is also true by the way if you want to go to syria it's completely open at this point (laughs) thank you for the hot tips (laughs) booking (laughs) booking as we speak for damascus um so uh so my question is how do you figure out before there's a New York Times 36 Hours article that's going to ruin it for everyone, where is actually an interesting place to go that will not have just been totally demolished by a crush of Well, tourists? here's the other thing. 
you would assume that by the by the time New York Times would write it, or as soon as they write it, it will get demolished. Yeah, I will tell you that that's not the case. If you if you had taken the Cuba example, everybody thought Cuba was going to be overrun by tourists. By now, it's not a secret by any stretch of imagination. Guess what? There are not that many Americans going. Every airline has cut the number of flights. So. And in Cuba, if you go outside literally four blocks of Havana, yeah. you will be able to find pretty much no tourists. But that's all. Isn't Cuba a weird example, though, because they have such a lack of infrastructure and people are, when they get to Havana, are really shocked by what actually exists there. They're used to the photos where everything looks very picturesque. And then they find half a city that looks like it's been bombed out. Well, so out. let's take Iceland. So that's okay. a better example. Okay. Um, Iceland... The by the way the airport is structured, Reykjavik, one corner of the of the country. There's only one international gateway uh, to the uh, to, to the country, which they're trying to change. Um, certainly Reykjavik and anywhere south. Somehow people only drive south. Turns out, um, <laughs> south is completely overrun. You go north, literally two hours, three hours. It's empty still. Um, so um, this is a thing I've learned as part of just being a traveler and now the travel industry, even overrun destinations literally are blocks and right. just... And I can, Isn't it also yeah. certain weeks and certain months if you go outside of those yeah. times as well? I mean, Croatia as an example. Croatia is, I mean, in summer is impossible, but any time else is, is empty. So uh, if you want to do a honeymoon in Croatia, which a lot of people do... Uh, uh, just don't go in August. But all and and the other thing which I would add is, is that one you're absolutely right that it's not that hard to go a little bit off the beaten track. Um, but two, it also depends on where you go because I just had a lovely little trip to Charleston, and Charleston is totally covered in tourists. It's 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 very much a tourist city, but it's none the worse for it. And there are places where tourists make a city worse. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm just surrounded by these tourists. And actually, to a certain level, I can see somewhere like Barcelona is like that. Um, and then there's places like Charleston where tourists really don't make it worse or Santiago de Compostela or places which manage to really celebrate and embrace the tourism. And it's fine. It's not a problem. Well, I feel like mid-sized American cities that are known for their food scenes might be a slight exception. <laughs> like, like when you're talking about international travel, that might be also attracting uh, like the Australian yeah, teenagers and the I Chinese that, tourists. Uh, it's a little the, bit. The, what, we talked about low-cost airlines before. Anywhere where low-cost airlines are not yet flying, okay, that's probably a good bet. Anywhere where it's inconvenient and expensive. Where it's inconvenient yet. Like I was, my wife and I and our son, we we now, by the way, we only stay at an Airbnb because I have a son now. Um, we don't stay at hotels anymore. We went to Faroe Islands. So Faroe Islands is really hot this year, which is the next Iceland is what everybody's talking about. Um and uh, but the reality is there are like you literally go there and there's there's outside of some of the main areas they don't really have any infrastructure to begin with so um, I do think that there's still tons of tons of places that you can find and they don't yet have a low cost airline they're talking to different um, airline groups they are very worried that they want they will become another Iceland uh, they're wary of it uh, it's fascinating with the 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 struggle they're going with. Um, on this one. So here's the big question which I wanted to ask you, and it's, it applies very much to something like the Faroe Islands, is you spend a lot of time in your day job looking at the big 
companies which dominate a huge amount of the travel industry, whether it's you know Expedia, Priceline, Hotels.com. The um, uh, these are well, Google. <laughs> right. I, you, I've heard of them. Um, they, by, by many accounts, Google is larger than Priceline and, and Expedia and everything, just in terms of the travel. Um, just Google Travel. Revenue. Yeah. And and the. And the amount of money these companies make is absolutely mind-boggling. They, they're, they're extremely profitable. They're worth hundreds of billions of dollars if you add them all together. Yeah, certain valuations-wise, yeah. And yet, at the same time, when I'm traveling, I feel like I'm spending my money in in like relatively local establishments. I stay in a local hotel. You know, even if I stay in a chain hotel, it's stuffed up with locals. And I guess my question is. To a vague approximation, this money I'm spending, to what degree is it actually really helping the local economy and to what degree is it just going into the coffers of Google and Priceline? Well, in in Google and Priceline's case, keep in mind they're only taking a cut on top of the uh, the actual thing because they're not selling any travel products themselves that they own. It's, right. it's hotels and air, uh, airline tickets there that they're selling. So... Um, so that is a minority of the total revenue pie in general. Um, if you're, st- you know, uh, would really depend on what destination there there is. Um, in a city like Delhi, for example, uh, a lot of international tourists are going want to stay in relatively established brands. So the uh, so probably a big part of international tourist revenue is going to establish brands. I would this is just completely anecdotal analysis right. that I'm doing on the fly. Um, in a city like New York, I would imagine outside of the business traveler that stays at a bunch of these hotels, uh, a lot of the money is going to the local establishments as well. Um, you would imagine that people are not coming to New York and getting Starbucks. Like I hope they're not. <laughs> oh, they uh, are. a lot of them are. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I also think it's important to remember that when when you're talking about the money that tourism brings in, you're not just talking about lodging and the um, dining, but yet you're talking about activities. all activities. Yeah, the indirect yeah, dollars that are brought in. So that money isn't necessarily going to go to a Google or a Priceline. That's yeah. going to I mean, go tours and activities. So the, the industry calls it like that is one part as a huge part of it. It's a very unorganized, small business friendly sector. Um, there's some big companies like the buses that take tourists around, but there are tons of other small little things as well. I think internet, for whatever uh, other things it's done, it's also enabled a lot of these small entrepreneurs to 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 sell their services through all kinds of sites and um, companies. Like, for instance, I was in, as I mentioned, Malaysia last week. KL and in KL uh, we did a food tour by this on this site called with locals which is a which as the name says essentially is locals offering their services to take you around the city and we did a food tour we did a Malay local food tour and it was completely outside of the main tourist area and this is almost I would say except for the commission that this site took everything went to the locals so I think so, you know, so I, the question I have is like has this changed? I think as an as a responsible traveler, I think this is the frontier in terms of if you're traveling, please try and spend money with local businesses. I think this is the next level of consciousness as a traveler. And has the internet made that easier than ever? I think so. I mean, um, 
in a country like Myanmar, probably not right now with all that's <laughs> happening. Um, but in a lot of other places, yes. Um, like Syria? It's, well, it's there, for, <laughs> it's there for anybody to research and find out. I, that's what I would say. It's there. The information is there. If I, as a responsible, somewhat sophisticated traveler, wants to do that, there are ways to do it. Yeah, and I, so I think it's both easier for many tourists to be responsible. And I also think that tourism itself generates lots of capital investment. Tourism itself generates taxes, as you were saying, that from airport fees, hotel fees, that then goes to potentially pay for roads and schools and these kind of things. So I think when we're thinking about tourism, we shouldn't necessarily just think about right. just the travelers exactly. and the hotels and the airlines and stuff. Yeah, it's I mean, it's by many accounts, the world's largest industry, which is why we we, we do what we do. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Wonderful. This was amazing. Thank you very much, Rafat Ali, for coming on to Slate Money. Thank you, all of you guys, for listening to Slate Money. Keep the emails coming at slatemoney at slate.com. Many thanks to Dan Schrader and June Thomas, who somehow between them managed to produce this show. Um, go listen to Trumpcast, which is now coming out at least three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, sometimes more because there's no shortage of Trumpish news. That's Jacob Weisberg, Virginia Heffernan, Jamel Bowie um, talking all things Trump. It's worth listening to. But we will talk to you next week on Slate Money. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.